text is. Our main text, however, is uh, verse 22 this morning, and we'll add 23. So I think we could just read those two and pray, and I'll introduce a little bit, and we'll get into this, because we've been talking about the fruit of the Spirit, and this is what we read about here. So Galatians, in chapter number 5, verse 22, says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Let's have prayer. Our Father, we desire for your help upon this time as we consider the Scriptures. And Lord, um, we know that as a believer, we have your Holy Spirit producing this fruit in us. And how thankful we are for that, Lord. Thank you. And Father, we also know that your Spirit is our teacher to guide us into all truth. And I pray that you would guide our hearts today and that you would teach our hearts. And once again, even, Lord, those that have not the Spirit, they're not saved. Today, Lord, that your Spirit still would draw them with cords of love. and Lord, that they would be just able to understand how much you love them, what you did to save them, and they would receive that salvation. We ask this for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we have been studying these uh, fruits, well, it's actually singular, isn't it? Uh, I kind of um, slipped into what it's easy to slip into and say fruits. But if you notice there in verse 22, he says the fruit, and that's singular, of the Spirit, but it's multifaceted, uh, this fruit. I've, I've heard some describe it like perhaps a, you know, an orange with all of its individual sections. Um, I've heard it described as a bouquet of flowers or something like that. But when you think about why, why would it say singular and then list you know, nine things? Well, because it's, you know, someone said this, the Lord, the Holy Spirit is not in, in the process of making lopsided Christians. Um, we don't just get, you know, a couple of them and not all, and, you know, not some others. And some of us are naturally kind of predisposed toward particular ones, perhaps. You know, you might be a person who is patient, naturally. Uh, and some of you are thinking, no, there's nobody like that, really, really. Um, yeah, there are some people that are naturally patient. Most of us perhaps aren't. There are some people that are just naturally uh, gentle, as we are going to look at that word today. Um, but, of course, what we're looking at is not the natural uh, kind of, you know, these things. Of course, we're all created in the image of God, and, and you know, God has put within us uh, some, some of these attributes, if you will. And, and they, of course, those are good things. But, but we all know that, of course, as Christians, this is not something, this is, goes beyond what we are naturally. Because naturally, some of us are very impatient. Some of us are, don't have joy. We, we're pessimistic. Uh, some of us don't, you know, just inherently, uh, it's not, it doesn't come easily for us to love others. And so, uh, God produces this. This is His fruit. It's, it's not something that we can manufacture. It's not something that we just sort of like a Christmas tree hang on to our lives. It's not a list of things that, you know, you just say, okay, I need to, I need to try to be more uh, kind. I need to be, try to be more, uh, you know, uh, temperate, self-control. I need to try. That, that's not what it's about. This is 
the fruit that the Holy Spirit produces within our lives. And as we grow in our spirituality, the more evident these, these aspects of the fruit of the Spirit will, will be noticed, or at least they'll be coming forth out of our life. Are you with me? So, I, because I'm trying to think of different ways, we've, as each time we've preached on this, we kind of go over a lot of the same things, but, but I want you to understand that it is the fruit of the Spirit, it's the evidence, this is the evidence of somebody who is walking in the Spirit, uh, somebody who is abiding in Christ. What will they, you know, well, how do we know if we are Spirit-filled, if we're walking in the Spirit? Because I'll just point, I didn't read it, but I'll point out in verse 16, he says, this I say then, walk in the Spirit. If you look at verse 25, he ends the, uh, the passage again saying, if you live in the Spirit, then let us also walk in the Spirit. So we're to walk being yielded unto the Holy Spirit of God, which indwells every believer. Now you were born with an old nature. And I feel the need to just review this as well. Um, all of us have this fallenness, which the Bible calls our flesh. Uh, that's why he says in verse 16, if you walk in the Spirit, you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And he mentions what the works of the flesh are, and you can look at that list starting in verse 19. Uh, I'll just mention a couple. He says adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness. He mentions envying and murder and drunkenness and revelings and such like. And so there's an entire list there, and that's what, you know, without the Holy Spirit's work in our life, if I'm not a believer and, and not really don't have the Holy Spirit, I'm not in tune with God, then my life's going to be manifesting whatever is in my flesh. And again, like you may be, uh, you may be naturally kind, but not naturally patient or whatever. You might be naturally uh, one of these works of the flesh, but not all of them particularly. It's not like you have to have every one of these to be in the flesh, but when you operate in the flesh, and the Bible just simply says this, they that are in the flesh cannot please God. And so we need to walk in the Spirit. So that's what we're talking about, and this is the evidence. And part of why we study these things is basically then we can sort of, you know, because how do we know, like I said, how do we know if we're walking in the Spirit? Well, we, we can we see the evidence by the fruit from our lives. And as we study these fruits, I don't know about you, but it has caused me to say, hmm, I need to grow. <laughs> because, uh, you know, the fruit of the Spirit, God possesses all of these attributes in perfection. I don't. I'm not perfect in these things, and I need to grow in them. And the more I study what these things, these, this, these aspects of this fruit looks like, the more I understand I need to grow. I need to walk in the Spirit even more. Because we're going to look at today uh, two of them together. and Those are seen there in verse 22, the words gentleness and goodness. And as I studied this, what these are, I said, hmm, yeah, I... Uh, I need the Holy Spirit to help me in these areas. Because I'm not all that gentle sometimes. And I'm not all that good at times. And you don't have to ask my wife. I'll, I'll tell you right away, okay? <laughs> but we can grow in this as we walk in the Spirit. So, with that, with that little bit of introduction, now, this is a message, the way this message kind of, I don't know, the way I studied it out and it fell together is unusual in the sense that I don't have an outline for you. Normally, you know, 
preachers like outlines, and and I find them helpful just to sort of kind of I don't know work my way through some thoughts. But we're just going to sort of meander through this a little bit today. All right, I hope that's okay, and that means you have to follow along. Um, but I want to, I started out by just trying to understand these words and do a little word study. And it's interesting. The reason, part of the reason why I'm combining two of them today, gentleness and goodness, is because both words are quite similar. When you look at the Greek words uh, that are translated gentleness and goodness, actually, it's interesting. The, the word gentleness, um, I won't try to pronounce the Greek word because it's Greek to us, but um, it's a somewhat complex word, or at least it's a, it's, it's not, it's, you know, some words are very precise and they have one particular meaning. Other words you can use differently. We were talking to uh, some of the, our new friends from Peru, and we were talking about English. And we have words in English that we use in different ways, so they don't always, you know, like, and that's kind of, I think, confusing. I think it would be, for, uh, for me, my wife used this expression, your goose is cooked. Well, you know, how are you supposed to make anything out of that if, you, if it's not your first language? Like, what, where, what goose are we talking about? But, um, you know, we use words, uh, sometimes they can have a broad meaning, or in the context, uh, we understand what we mean by them. And this first word, gentleness, um, it's interesting. I looked up what Strong's, how he defined it, and, and uh, the first word was useful. And then it said moral goodness, gentleness, kindness. So the word is basically, um, you know, it's, it, it means goodness in a way. But the next word is good. Goodness. So, uh, you know, both these words are close and they're like, uh, which one, you know, is there a distinction between them? And that's what I'm, what I'm trying to say. So, but the first word has this idea of gentleness. It has the idea of goodness, moral goodness, moral excellence, uh, usefulness, and the word kindness. Now, so then I looked up how this particular word is translated. It's found ten times in the New Testament in this form. You know, there's a root word that's found more. But this particular usage is found ten times in the New Testament. Five times it's translated good or goodness. Four times it's translated kindness. Once it's translated gentleness, which we find here. So, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use the word kindness. That I think kind of conveys... Because we have goodness right next door. Uh, this word has that idea of gentle kindness. Are you still with me? I know that's maybe a little confusing. But but so we're talking about the fruit of the Spirit. And one aspect of that is a gentle kindness. And then there's a goodness. And the word goodness is from the word um, that is really a very common word for good. It just simply means good. So... So if I say kindness and goodness, uh, you'll understand this is what we're talking about, gentleness and goodness, kindness and goodness. So the Spirit produces this as we yield to Him, a kindness, a goodness in us. And the two are very similar. It, made me, it kind of led me to think, and I thought about this statement for a while, I thought, well, I better not make it unless I really think it through. But... I think it can be said that nothing is truly good that is not kind. Think about that for a minute. 
when we see the goodness, and I love what Spurgeon said. Always Spurgeons can say things like no other person seems to be able to say them. Charles Spurgeon said, God is too good to be unkind. And He is too wise to be wrong. Isn't that a great statement when you think about that? God is too good to be unkind. And, it, and you know, think upon that. That's true. And it, and it kind of leads me into what we want to talk about first, and that is, um, all, in all of these attributes of the fruit of the Spirit, we really find what they are, what, you know, if we want to kind of define them, if we want to see what it looks like, we have to look at God. Because as I said, God possesses all of these in perfection. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, as we've already looked at those. God is love. He is the Prince of Peace. In His presence is the fullness of joy. No one is as long-suffering as God. And so it's in the Lord that we find this. And it's, it's the work of the Holy Spirit to make us more like Christ. More like Him. So, you know, you can think about what, what we think about kindness... And, you know, human kindness, they use that word, the milk of human kindness, you know. Um, yesterday was the anniversary of 9-11, uh, and everybody that's at least 20 years old knows what happened uh, on that day in 2001. And, of course, I heard somebody make mention of uh, the little town of Gander, Newfoundland. Do you remember how so many planes were diverted to that little place on, on Newfoundland, you know, and a little little town of, I don't know, 5,000 people or something, and they had to take in passengers. And they were able to show great kindness in that emergency. And so human beings can at times and do at times show kindness. But what is God like when it comes to kindness? Well, in Psalm 149, verse 9, it says, The Lord is good to all. And his tender mercy, his tender mercies are over all his works. Nehemiah said this in Nehemiah 9. Um, and he was talking in the context of how the Israelites had rebelled, and we all know the story of Israel. And we love, you know, we can poke at them a lot in the Old Testament, right? Because they were constantly uh, going into idolatry, going into rebellion, doing things against God. And God was so not only patient with them, he was very, very kind. And so Nehemiah said this, Thou art a God ready to pardon, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness. I was talking with some people this week and a couple of occasions, and they were going through some very difficult times. Some of them had lost loved ones, and some of them were dealing with just uh, very stressful situations. And what was at the heart of what I was trying to just encourage them with is basically, uh, it all boils down to this, uh, you need the Lord. You need to lean on God in these times. And when you say you need the Lord, well, what is the Lord like? Well, He is gracious, merciful, and full of kindness. We can always uh, tell you know, those that are in need of help, you can turn to God because God is very kind. He's a kind God. He's merciful. He's gentle. And He's too good to be unkind. 
The prophet Joel agreed in chapter 2 of Joel in verse 13. It says, Rend your heart and not your garments, and turn unto the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and repenteth him of the evil. It's very interesting as I was kind of studying this word a little bit. You remember how Jesus said, uh, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And he said, Take my yoke upon you. He said, For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. But what I found was fascinating to me is that word easy is actually from the very same root word that we get the word gentleness or kindness. So you could say that Jesus' yoke is kind. And I hope every teenager listens to that and thinks about that because, you know, the world wants to put you under a yoke. It says the way of the transgressor is hard. And you might as well just understand that. If you're going to uh, live for the world, if you're going to go off and, and follow the, the multitude into sinful behavior, let me just tell you right now, it's not going to be kind to you. We're going to see this again when we come to the prodigal son. But it won't be kind. But if you, if you determine to get into the yoke of God and walk with the Spirit and live for the Lord, uh, will that mean there will be no problems? There won't be any kind of Difficulties? No, it doesn't mean that. But it does mean that God's yoke is kind. He'll bring much easier burdens upon you. He'll lift them for you. He will help you in them. And the Lord is kind. So, not only is God kind, but turn, turn to Luke chapter 6. Let me show you this. I was going to do this a little later in my notes, but um, Luke chapter 6, I want you to look at verse 35 first, and then we'll back up a little bit. Just how kind is God? Luke chapter 6 and verse 35. <coughs> he says, But love your enemies, and do good, and lend, hoping for nothing again. And your rewards shall be great, and ye shall be the children of the highest. For he is kind, now notice this, this is of God, the highest. He is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. That's where God's kindness departs from man's kindness. Because, you know, you say, well, kind to the evil? Why would we be kind to the evil? You know, why would we uh, be kind to those who flew airplanes into nine, you know, into the towers? Why would we be kind to uh, somebody who was just nothing but bad in their nature? Well, I'll remind you because God's been kind to you. God is kind to the evil, but He's also un He's kind to the unthankful. You know, it's easier to be kind to those who appreciate it, right? And say thank you. But how many of you have done something for somebody and then uh, you know they didn't show any gratitude and you thought, well, that's the last time I'm helping them. You know, they weren't thankful. They never said, you know, they just didn't seem grateful at all. Matter of fact, they showed, you know, just gross un ingratitude. So why would I jolly well help them anymore? You know, why? Because God is, and that's what He's saying here to you and I. If you back up to um, verse number, let's see. Verse 32. 
He says, For if ye love them which love you, what thank have ye? It's easy to do that. For sinners also love those that love them. That's what the world does. You know, we, we, we can be very kind to some people because there seems to be at least a perceived benefit toward us. We receive love back. We receive kindness back. We, you know. But he says, anybody can do that. Verse 33. And if you do good to them which do good to you, what thank have ye? For sinners also do the same. And if ye lend to them whom ye hope to receive, what thank have ye? For sinners also lend to sinners to receive as much again. And this is where we found verse 35. He says, love your enemies. Do good to those who won't do you good. Lend to those who won't pay it back. Because that's the kind of kindness God shows. And I don't know about you, but that's where I started to say, yeah, Lord, I need to grow. Because it's so easy, we are, you know, we are naturally concerned about our problems, you know, my problems, my plans, my priorities. That's more on my mind. You know, if, there, if you were in the line with, uh, you know, you're number seven in the line, and, uh, you know, you're waiting to get into somewhere, and, and somebody comes out and says, okay, I have, I have room for seven people. And you think, oh, great, I'm in. And you don't give any thought for number eight, nine, and ten, because who cares? I'm getting in. Right? And that's the way we often do. But kindness considers others before ourselves. I heard the story of an astronaut. He was a Christian man. He was at the space station. And he was doing a, a spacewalk. He was out, you know, outside in space working for hours. And as he was out there... Uh, he paused and he said, I think this would be a good time for me to wish, he named some name, Bob, somebody, happy birthday. <laughs> and the person who's telling the story thought, here he is walking in space and he's thinking about his friend down on the earth, you know, wishing him happy birthday. Why? Because he had a kind heart. He was just thinking about others. I heard somebody say that um, it, was, it was her thinking of others that made us think of her. And you've known people like that. I can name a name that we think of so often, and she's been moved away many years ago. Her name is Christine. A lot of you know who I'm talking about. And we think of Christine only because she always thought of others. The kind of kindness God wants to produce in our life. Turn for a moment to Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2. In verse 1. I told you we were just sort of meandering a little bit today, but I just want to try to help us relate to the kind of kindness the Holy Spirit is trying to produce in our life and as we yield to Him. He says in Romans 2 verse 1, and this is a little hard to follow, but I'll try to help you. He says, Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest. For when thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself. For thou that judgest doest the same thing. What does that mean? He's basically saying, you know, as sinful people, we really have no right to judge. Because we do the same things. You know, we might condemn somebody else, 
for things that we've done ourselves, right? And then he goes on, verse 2, For we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. So, God is the only just judge. His judgment is according to truth. And then he says, And thinkest this, thou this, O man, verse 3, that judgest them which do such things and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? You know, you want God to judge those people, but you think you're going to get away with it? Who are doing the same thing? But then he says this in verse 4, and this is where I wanted to get to. Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. Now think about this for a minute with me. And by the way, that word goodness in that verse comes from the same root word that we are talking about, gentleness, kindness. So if you want to say the kindness of God leads thee to repentance, what does that mean? Well, the way I see it is this, is that you know, when we have rec- when we recognize that we have been sinful, unholy, which all of us have, when we recognize that we are, you know, at odds and we sin against God. The Bible talks about the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But what does that mean to fear the Lord? Well, it means to reverence him, but it doesn't mean that we fear him and run away from him. You know, like, and, and when he's talking about the goodness of God leads you to repentance, it means that when you, when you understand how wicked you have been, how sinful you have been, you might think, well, boy, uh, I don't want to go anywhere near God because you know, I'm going to get judged. I'm worthy of judgment. Like the thief on the cross told the other thief, he said, hey, we are getting what we deserve. This man's done nothing wrong. And you might think, uh, you know, if I, if I feel so guilty, so uh, guilt-ridden with sin, that, um, you know, in God is holy, I, don't, I, don't, I wouldn't want to go near God. But the fact is, God is kind. And He's good. And therefore, the sinful can turn to Him. It's what I talked about a moment ago. I, said we, we, I mentioned the prodigal son, Luke 15. Remember, if you want to look at this for a minute, I'll make a reference here. Luke 15. You remember the prodigal son, right? It says in verse 11, a man had two sons. Luke 15. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of, the, of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. Now this was really not a very... He was disrespectful in what he was doing here. I want you to understand. And in this culture, uh, and I can't go into all the details because of time, but in this culture, uh, you know, you get your inheritance when when your parents pass away. So for him to say, you know, Dad, I don't want to wait for you to die. I'd just like to have my inheritance now. Is, is sort of tantamount to saying, you know, I wish you'd just die so I could get what I want. You know? And so this is what he does. He, he, but the dad gives him his portion. And then verse 13, and not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country. And there wasted his substance with riotous living. He took his inheritance and blew it on foolish, riotous living. What is riotous living? Well, you, you let your imagination fill that in. And when he had spent all, and there arose a mighty famine in the land, and he began to be in want, he went and joined himself to the citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. 
And he would have fain have uh, filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. Now, did he experience kindness out there in the world? No. But notice verse 17. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. Now here's, here's what I want you to see. He had dishonored his dad. He had wasted his living. He had used his, his substance foolishly. He disrespected... I mean, you know, he, he basically... I'm sure his dad, you know, if he was like my dad, uh, or like me and my children even, he would be ashamed. He would be somewhat disappointed in his son. And his son might have thought, you know, here I am, I've blown it, I'm broke, I'm trying to fight the pigs for some food. What am I going to do? I can't go home. Because my dad, I mean, he'll just be, he'll blow up. He would, I mean, look how I've treated him. Is that what he thought? He said, no. He said, you know, I have a kind father who has hired servants he treats very well. And if I know anything about my dad, he'll... He might be mad, he might be upset, but he'll let me come home. And so he got up and he went home. And the father, what does he do? You know the story, right? Verse 20, he arose and came to his father, and when his father was yet a great way off, he ran, and he had compassion. He ran, fell on his neck, and kissed him. And he welcomed him home. You see, the goodness of his father led him to repent and turn. And the goodness of God is that when you uh, are out there in that hog pen of the world and because of your own doing and your own foolishness, can you turn back to God? Yes, you can. Thank God you can. Because he's good and he's kind. I'm not trying to give you an excuse to go and mess up your life. I'm saying, though, that when we find out we have messed up our life, it's the goodness of God that leads us to turn back to Him. And so, I don't know, maybe someone here this morning, maybe you are the prodigal. Is there any hope to get things right at home? Yeah. If you will repent, if you will turn to God in faith, the Bible says this, and it's a wonderful thing. It says, the broken heart God will not despise. He that cometh unto him, he will no wise cast out. Aren't that, isn't that a wonderful promise? It's so encouraging. Because so many times I've had to go and say, Lord, I, I've gotten in the hog pen again. And I don't deserve to be called your son, but make me one of your servants. And he always says, Son, you're welcome home. This is the kind of kindness the Holy Spirit wants to produce in us. One of the ways that we might judge or kind of weigh how kind we are is even in our words. We have to be kind in our actions, but you know sometimes we can be so unkind in our words. I found this poem. It says, If all we say in a single day with never a word left out were printed each night in clear black and white, would prove strange reading, no doubt. And then just suppose, ere our eyes we could close, 
We must read the whole record through. Then wouldn't we sigh and wouldn't we try a great deal less talking to do? And I more than half think that many a kink would be smoother in life's tangled thread if half that we say in a single day were left forever unsaid. I'll give you one last example. Turn to Ruth chapter 2 and we'll close here. When I think of kindness and seeing the kindness of God in, at work in somebody's life, one of, the, one of the examples I think of is Boaz. In Ruth chapter 2, Joshua judges Ruth. In verse number 4, I really like Boaz. He's, he's a, quite a character. If you, if you don't know the whole story of Ruth, you'll have to read it. It's, it's only a four-chapter book. It's not very long. But Ruth was a Moabite woman who was a widow, and she came with her Jewish mother-in-law back to Bethlehem. And It says in verse 4, Behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said unto the reapers, these are the men out in the field, The Lord be with you. And they answered him, The Lord bless thee. And you get a sense of this guy, Boaz. He's just a kind, hearty guy. Then said Boaz unto his servants that was uh, said over the reapers, Whose damsel is this? He sees this woman out there he doesn't recognize. And the servant that was said over the reapers answered and said, said, It is the Moabitish damsel that came back with Naomi out of the country of Moab. So she was a stranger. And she was a widow. And Oftentimes, it was very difficult for widows back then. That's why our memory verse today said, Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widow in their affliction. Because it's, it's, it was especially in that day, uh, widows, you know, ladies couldn't really work. Women didn't work outside the home. And a widow woman had no one bringing in any income. So they would go and glean in the field, which meant they would follow the reapers and pick up whatever's left behind, basically. That's their, that was the, what they had. So Boaz says, who is she? And he, and he tells her. And then, um, let's, let's read on just a little bit more. And Boaz said unto his servant, that was said over, oh, we read that, didn't we? Uh, verse 7. And uh, she, she said, I pray you, let me glean. This is, the, I guess, the servant saying, you know, she came and said, let me glean among the sheaves. Verse 8. And Boaz said unto Ruth, hearest thou not, my daughter? Go not to glean in and another field, neither go from hence, abide here fast by my maidens. Let thine eyes be on the, on the field that thou do reap, and go thou after them. Have I not charged the young men that they shall not touch thee? And when thou art athirst, go to the vessel and drink of that which the young men have drawn. And she fell on her face and bowed herself to the ground. Because she recognizes this guy's, you know, here's the master of the field. And sometimes the master might show up and say, hey, what are you doing out there? You know? Move along. How many of you know some would be like that, right? Go on, find somewhere else to be. But that's not what he said. He said, hey, uh, Ruth, listen. Don't, you don't have to go anywhere else. Don't go to other fields. There's some dangerous places. Just, just stay with my reapers. It's okay. And if you get thirsty, come help yourself. Have a drink. And then look at verse uh, 14. And Boaz said unto her at mealtime, 
Come thou hither and eat of the bread and dip thy morsel in the vinegar. And she sat beside the reapers and reached her parched corn. And he reached her parched corn. So he's handing her stuff. And she did eat and was sufficed and left. And when she was risen up to glean, Boaz commanded his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves and reproach her not. Now, of course, I know some of you are thinking, well, you know, because she was pretty, you know. Boaz is kind of thinking, hey, she's kind of nice looking. Let's, let's be nice to her, right? And maybe there was a little bit of that in there. I don't know, because they do get married later on. But, but you know, um, but I just see great kindness. You know, he was kind to her. He said, you know, go and if you go right up among the sheaves, it's okay. And then he even says this in verse 16, and let some also, or let fall also some of the handfuls of purpose. How many of you have heard that phrase before? Handfuls of purpose. In other words, he basically says, you know, to the workers, if you drop a little extra for Ruth, that's okay. A few handfuls, you know, just. But don't you see in there the kindness? Boaz is showing to her. Alright, let's quit. Verse 19 and 20, we'll close up. So she goes back home, and her mother-in-law, Naomi, uh, said to her, Where hast thou gleaned today, and where wroughtest thou? Blessed be he that did take knowledge of thee. And she showed her mother-in-law with whom she had wrought, and said, The man's name with whom I wrought today is Boaz. So the mother-in-law says, Where were you? Man, you got so much. How did you get all this? And she said, Well, I was with this guy, and he was just really nice to me. His name is Boaz. And verse 20 says, Naomi said unto her daughter-in-law, Blessed be he of the Lord, who hath not left off his kindness to the living and to the dead. And Naomi said unto her, The man is near kin unto one of us, or unto us. But I just see in that story, and I, there's so much more there to really think about, but I see the act of great kindness. Boaz was a godly man who loved the Lord, and he showed tender kindness. The kind of kindness the Lord had shows to us. So, as we looked at last week, patience. Some of you said, hmm, boy, Lord, I need help in that area. Today we look at kindness, and the kind of kindness that God wants to produce in us. And maybe some of you here today and say, yeah, there again, I, I need help. We live in a world where we find, where we hear so much unkindness, so much ugliness. I don't have to remind you, you know. Just look at the Facebook comments for a moment. You go, "Wow, what a, what an ugly, unkind world we live in." But God wants us to go out and, through our lives, show forth love, joy, peace, long suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. And when people see that kind of kindness, they say, "That's unusual." And when they know that you're a Christian, you know, that glorifies God. When they see a Christian who's not very kind and is short-tempered and so on, what kind of testimony is that? Let's stand as we close. And I hope I giving you something to think about at least today and the Holy Spirit maybe moving upon your heart I want you to know that the kindness of God is is there for anyone who needs to turn to Him 
But we do need to turn to Him in faith. If we persist in trying to do our own thing, get to heaven our own way, you know, live our own life independent of God, we're going to fall. And we're not making it. The only way to have sins forgiven is to do like the prodigal son. Come to God and say, Lord, I've sinned. Forgive me. And to put your faith and trust not in any goodness, you know, the, the prodigal didn't say, you know, Dad, uh, receive me because I've done so and so, this and this and this. Or remember before I left, I was good, you know, that time. Doesn't that count for something? That's what we try to do with God, but God says, no, that's not what it's about. Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins, paid the penalty, and rose from the dead. And it's by faith in Christ and what He did for us, we find mercy and forgiveness. So if you need to learn more about that, come see me after the service. Let's pray. Father, our desire is for you to help us in whatever our need is today. And we know that you're too good to be unkind to us. But Lord, you judge sin, and even that is a kindness. Because sin is destructive, wrong, unjust toward others. And justice must be met. And so, Lord, where we find ourselves sinful, forgive us. And if anybody here today is lost and doesn't know Christ, I pray they would be saved. And Lord, for all of us, especially, and Lord, we who have your Spirit because we've been born again, please help us to be more like you. Lord, produce in us what we couldn't produce in ourselves and the kind of kindness that you show the heart of kindness that you have toward us. May we show that to others and to you. Please help us now, we pray in Jesus' name.